And here's an ad from our sponsors. Have you ever heard about Anchor? Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It is free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute the podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Be Fearless podcast. Today wow. we have the one and only Cesar Cervantes. Welcome, Cesar. Oh, thank you. That intro was intense. That was like, I, know. I am pumped. It was like, it was like a workout. Like, Man. yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah, let's hit the gym. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> awesome. Welcome, Cesar. Cesar Cervantes is an expert TEDx Speaker. Like if you want to put your story in TEDx, this is the person that you need to talk to. Um, so he's here today to share with us his success story and, uh, you know, how everything, uh, um, how you say that? Like uh, it de everything developed in his life until he he reached his, his place, yeah. today, right? Um, I'm sorry, I got like my- How it all came finished. together. Exactly. How everything. Thank you. My English and Spanish right now is like fighting for my brain. Oh, good. So, <laughs> thanks for that. So, Cesar, my first question, and like I ask everybody, who was Cesar growing up and what was your dream as you grew up? Okay. Well, yeah, let's start from the Where was I born? Where was I conceived? What? No. Uh, <laughs> I... I grew up. I grew up in El Paso, Texas. I'm I'm the son of Mexican immigrants. So you know my 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 parents. That's their story. They you know came across the border and um, created a great life for me and my sisters. And you know El Paso was great. It was it was a safe place to grow up. I enjoyed my childhood. You know when you later in life you don't really realize how you know where you grew up influenced who you are today and why. And, and, you know, when I read my favorite authors all talk about sort of their beginnings. And I think that that's just part of the process. We don't understand how our environment influences us probably until much later, or we revisit it in a way to, to better understand it. And I think that's true for me too. I, growing up on the border, it's a very specific culture and community. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is this sort of duality about me in, in the way that the physical space that I grew up in is there is a duality. So not just that there's a border between the U.S. and Mexico, but also within within El Paso itself, there are, it's bicultural, um, you know, and there was a lot there was different divisions within that. But I've always I've always had kind of two parts of myself. There's this art artist and this creator and then there's this very sort of um logical kind of uh you know how do methodical. things work <laughs> methodical 
uh, not kind of risk averse person also. And it's kind of weird to say that those two things exist because they they sound contradictory even as I say them, mm-hmm. but it's true. And, in, and I've found myself in different spaces at different times sort of um, struggling with that. And I think I'm, I, I finally found a place, maybe in the last 10 years of my life, where not only did I embrace it, but I found harmony within that. And I, I, I felt like it's now like a superpower um, as opposed to some sort of hindrance or battle within my heart and mind. And so, yeah, I think that's what I want to share about my upbringing. Now, what was my dream? My first dream was to be a professional tennis player. And uh, I I started, well, I started pretty young. And I, you know, probably had that dream in high school. And then I started playing college tennis. And I had some injuries. And it just started to seem less likely. And I don't, I it's hard to judge like how close you really were to a dream unless you're able to continue uh, to keep doing it. But I think, you know, I got to play some professional tournaments and um, I felt like it just shifted. Like it was, it, it, I decided that it wasn't what I wanted actually. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm so grateful for like that journey and everything that it gave me and it helped pay for my college and, yeah, and so, and I still play today, and it's like one of my outlets. So that you just do as a, as a hobby these days? Yeah, you know, hobby is a weird word because I'm so competitive that I don't know that I do anything as a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, if we're going to go play, I'm going to try and win here. But, I, you know, I suppose that's what normal, regular people say when they're, you know, yeah, so... You call it a hobby, I'll call it a compulsion. A compulsion. That's a nice description. <laughs> yes, I must play. I must okay, I must so, also win. So in you're compulsed with yes. tennis this day. Yes. Yes. Um, so let me ask you, because I know that from your background that you also did uh, comedy, stand-up mm-hmm. comedy. Yes. So tell us about that. How do you got into it? Right. So that's that's dream number two. And I feel like um, I, I feel like I lived that dream out. And this is again, this is part of this duality about myself and, and where I, I think societally it's like, OK, you should pick a dream and you should see it all the way through. And that's what you're going to do for your whole life. And that's what you're going to give. And for me, I, I feel like there's been different phases in my life where I've lived different dreams out and said, I did that and, I'm, and I want to do something else now. And, and so for me in college, when I suffered a shoulder injury, mm-hmm. I had surgery and I was out for almost a year of playing tennis. Growing up, I did a lot of theater and I was on stage. And when I was on stage, I always wanted to make people laugh. So during this time of injury, uh, I did not have my outlet of playing tennis. And I was like, okay, I have to find something else. And I went and did an open mic in town. I didn't have anything planned, really. I just scribbled some things down. I was like, okay, I'll go, I'll go talk about this because I thought that's what stand-up was. Like you, you would just go and make it up as mm-hmm. you as you go. The first time I got on stage, I got laughs, but looking at it, it was like, it was terrible. Like it was awful. 
Um, but I think those those laughs that I did get, they were they were like it was like feeling that connection uh -huh. um, to to people and just that give and take. And there's really no rush like it either. If you're able to succeed on stage doing stand up, it's really difficult. Mm -hmm. And um, and and again, I think it becomes a compulsion of like I must, I have to keep. You know, it's almost like I don't know what what do you call that when you when you when you like pain? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that's but, masochism. Yeah, you well, like that's pain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's masochism. <laughs> but eventually, eventually, you get good, and you know what will work, and then you fail less and less, right? But there's always that risk. There's always a risk. And I think that that was kind of a rush for me too. And so I did that for, for probably about 10 years and I did it um, full time for a good portion of that. And I lived in LA, um, you know, I started doing some acting and that was my gig for a while. And, and so, you, so you went into uh, comedy central for uh, a bit and then yeah. I, I, I read that you were also in a movie called The Line of Duty. Yes. Yeah. So, um, well, what year I, was that? Oh, God. When was that? 2000. I have to go. I have to go. You should IMDb me and find out when that movie was released. <laughs> I don't know, 2006, maybe? I think it was, I think it was 2000, 2008. If maybe. I don't get the, the year wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I read something know. like that. It's but, filmed and then, you know, it could be released the next year. I mean, those things take forever, but um, so it was, what make it was, you, I'm going to make a pause right here and just yeah. want to ask you, why make you like kind of like uh, explore the film industry within that comedy um, um, portion yeah. or um, phase of your life? Like what make you switch or try to like taste the waters? Well, I think they're super related. And for me, it started in theater and acting. And, you know, some stand-ups don't want to do that. And that's not their thing. They just want to be live on stage. And it's all about stand-up and writing and whatever. For me, I was always a performer. And I love performing. And so stand-up was an, an, another way that I could perform and connect with an audience and, and be in a more extreme version of myself or a character um, at times. And uh, yeah, and so I think you're always looking for those opportunities that can then also help your standup. You know, if you have more credits and more credibility, yeah. then you're more likely to get booked and so forth. Um, I also did some voiceover work and that was really fun. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's That's all related. Great. So now, I mean, you, you've been doing stand-up, you did, you explore, uh, you know, your uh, opportunities within the film industry, did some work there. How do you end up doing TEDx? How do you end up as a TEDx speaker? Yeah, thank you. So, um, right. So I'm in LA, I'm doing my thing. And I remember there was this moment where I, I, I landed a gig for... I was going to help write on this game show and I was super excited about it. It was like, it was, it was a nice break and, you know, but I'm young. I'm like, you know, I'm in my, I'm in my early twenties and like, I don't really know how these things work. I just know that I'm super excited and I got this, this thing. And I was engaged at the time. And I remember, I remember this thing falling through, like the funding fell through or whatever it was. And I was just like, 
I was just so bummed. And um, and then and then you know the woman that I was engaged to that ended at the same time too, and she wasn't really supportive of what was going on. And it was just like, and I didn't like LA. Like I really didn't like it as like a creative place to be. It didn't feel like actually, somebody told me once, um, LA isn't where you go to create, it's where you go to take your creation. And I kind of connected with that. For whatever reason, I just never found my people or like the vibe there. And plenty of people do, but I didn't. And so at this moment, I was just like, I need change. And so I decided that um, I'd go back to grad school. And uh, at grad school, I met my wife, uh, you know, I, it was in Dallas and we had some mutual friends or whatever. And then we moved to London after that. And I was still doing standup, but I wasn't, I, I wasn't doing it full time anymore. And, and then at that point, I, I got a job at a college um, in, in admi administration. And so this was like, this is the duality that I'm talking about. Like, actually, I was really connected to college students and this sort of like more, I don't know, methodical way of uh -huh. looking at things. But I also had the opportunity to teach in the theater department. And I, I started teaching uh, comedy classes. And then I started teaching community classes. And I was a fan of TED all at the same time. And I, there was just this idea brewing about a talk about how to connect humor with sort of leadership and the things that I was doing. And I was I was just really obsessed with this idea. And I, I just had to figure out how to get on a TED stage because to me it was combining this sort of like education with also performance, like public speaking is a performance. And so it, in my mind, it was a perfect marriage. And I finally booked a talk after trying to figure out how to do it. It was probably three years from when I decided I wanna do one to actually booking one and, and figuring out what it was. I connected with a colleague who was a public speaking coach and I just you know, absorbed everything that I could. And I took everything that I could learn, I applied it, I got booked and I didn't love my first talk, but it was okay, I, I thought it was great. And then I was like, I need to do another one because now I know what I really want to do. <laughs> and, through, and through this process, I was like, wow, if I would have just known in the beginning I would, it wouldn't have been so stressful and like, you know, hard, but that's part of the growth too. Mm -hmm. So for me, the next step was how do I give everything that I've learned to people so they don't have to, you know, come into the it. Struggle and through it the process yeah. And, yeah. and how do they, how do they create the best talk possible? Because, you know, my experience with TEDx is that, you know, not every site is great or has great support. And so you kind of have to figure it out on your own. And so I wanted to be able to provide that to folks. And that's kind of what's landed. And I'm just so in love with watching people's talks come together and helping them through the journey. It's just been amazing. It is amazing. So let me ask you a question. What do you think is the biggest benefits that not only you mm -hmm. took out from, um, from this speaking process or teaching people how to become speakers, uh, but I mean, for yourself, what, what is, what is the best thing that you think that comes out of being a speaker? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, first, I'm going to say like a lot of times we think, um, that what we're talking about or like our message 
is going to be the big payoff and the big takeaway. Um, and sometimes it is, but my experience has been that we grow personally so much just through the process of creating this thing because we have to fight our ego. We have to fight, um, you know, this sort of like whatever we're comparing it to. We, we often stop thinking about our audience and what we want to give. And so this whole this 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 whole process is actually you know about personal growth, um, and then I think when you arrive and you see what you're actually able to give and contribute and what you get in return, if it's the talk that you wanted and if it's what you wanted to say, then you start seeing it impact people, and that is the most satisfying part, right? Because you can pick apart like oh you know I didn't say that exactly how I wanted to and I was standing weird and my hand did this thing you know but <laughs> the message the idea to see it actually grow and have impact and people reach out and you know I mean that it's it's just so huge it's so fulfilling yes it is I mean from my point of view I think that the biggest thing is just overcoming the fears uh like mm -hmm. A lot of people have, they want to do this and they want to become speakers, but the biggest issue that they have is becoming the fear of, you know, like myself, public speaking, like in, in you know, having people like you helping people like me and many of those out there that want to do this. I mean, just the biggest takeout is, you know, the, the ability to overcome that fear. Mm. So that's amazing. So let me ask you a question. What do you think is the biggest problem people has on finding out um, what they want to talk about, what they want to do mm -hmm. TEDx? Like finding finding the, the niche of the TEDx. <laughs> yeah. Well, first, let me commend you on you taking the step to sort of conquer your fear. Because I mean, that, I mean, that in itself, this podcast, and then you saying, you know what, I'm going to work on my public speaking. That I'm going to conquer it so hard that I'm going to try and find one of the biggest stages to be on. And so, I mean, that commitment alone, hey, everybody can can learn from that. And I think that's huge. So I just want to... Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, you know, in terms of, you know, what the talk is going to be about or the niche or what have you, a lot of times people get stuck... And they never make it past this part because the biggest thing is that our, our mind does this thing where it's just like, it's not going to be good enough. Somebody already talked about that. It's not going to be totally original. Therefore, I'm not going to try, even though we want it. Mm -hmm. So what I would say is that you have to kind of eliminate those barriers first and say and decide, do you want to do a talk? And if you do, then... Those are those may be obstacles, but they're not going to prevent you from from doing it and moving forward. And so the first advice I have is what do you love to talk about and what could you talk about for hours with joy and enthusiasm, et cetera. And that that should lead you down the path of, you know, where you want to live and what you know, what message you have and what you want to say. Now, there are some things that don't fit the TED form that you have to be careful about, right? It, TED is not just about um, a personal story, an inspirational story. You know, this is about the spread of 
big ideas that can that can change people, that can change the world. And so, um, you know, and that can sound really daunting, but there are there are talks that have you know millions and millions of views that are literally about hey, you should instead of just trying to go full vegetarian or vegan, maybe just do it during the week, and then on the weekends just eat whatever you want, and that will still change the world. And I mean, you know, that's such a simple idea. Simple idea, but very inspiring. <laughs> right, but and can still have impact. And so that's what I try and remind people is that, listen, everything in some form has been said before, right? Now, there are certainly some, you know, breakthroughs and science and technology and, and so on and so forth. But that if that's not you, it doesn't mean you can't do um, a TEDx talk. And so what you want to stay away from is anything that appears as though you're just trying to sell um, because Ted, the, the TED stage is about giving. It's about giving to your audience, about creating impact, helping and educating people. And so barring any of that, what do you love? Where do you have credibility? Is there, is there something that you know, you have come to that you feel is unique in some way, even if it's just because it's your experience. So there you have it. That's amazing. That is awesome. I'm, I'm like, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to do mine. <laughs> But it's, it's, it's coming. It's on the way. You also, um, so you got into TEDx and you got into, you know, creating this amazing masterclass where you help people And now you have a community of uh, TEDx speakers, which is yeah. amazing. And I love that. Um, so tell us about that masterclass. When, when is this coming up? So our next session starts next week. So literally a week from today. We've still got a couple of seats left. And so I'm glad that, you know, I wasn't sure if we'd have any seats left when we got to this podcast, but we do. We have a couple of seats left. Um, and you've got the, you've got the link there. You can find out a bunch more about it in details. And I, I co-teach the class with, um, Sarah Hinkle, who is actually the director of competitive communications at Colorado college. She is amazing. She's phenomenal. She's, she was my coach for my first talk. Actually, she coached me on, on both talks now that I think about it. Um, and I learned so much from her and we decided to partner to be able to give you kind of both the performance side of things, which is my expertise, and she's an, an incredible technical coach, which can tell you, and she can tell you, look, here's what you need to do in the form of your speech that you're not quite doing just yet. Um, and with that, I mean, what has been created thus far, I'm just so impressed by, and we just had somebody book um, a talk recently. And so, Our goal by the end of the six weeks is that you have your, your talk completed and that you have, you're empowered to know exactly how to apply to be able to stand out and, and that the TEDx organizers and curators won't be able to ignore your application. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll have the best shot possible at landing a talk. Awesome. And let me ask you a question. How, how for those that maybe are thinking about this or are already uh, enrolled in your masterclass, uh, how long <laughs> does it take um, to kind of get an answer from uh, the TEDx um, organization to accept your application? Because I know you have to go through mm -hmm. an application process and um, like there's different sites 
yeah all over the world like i was amazed to when yeah. i saw the map i was like oh, is this a lot of people doing this a lot all over the world <laughs> which is yeah. awesome well, especially now because there's so many virtual opportunities. So there's at least 3,000 TEDx events globally every year. Um, but also, you know, TEDx sites don't always, uh, they don't always last that long because they're volunteer driven. You get a license and then you essentially act under TED guidelines, but you're independent. So that's why these applications can vary and when you hear back from them can vary. Um, and you know, really they're just working hard because they love this mission, but most of them do other things. And so that's part of the challenge and that's important for people to know when you enter into this, if, if, if the communication isn't exactly what you want it to be, you just gotta keep pushing through. Um, the, the virtual opportunities are growing and there's like a studio license now that Ted just offered to folks, which means you can film anywhere. Um, and, and it would still fall under the Ted umbrella. Okay. So both of, both of my talks have now been uploaded to the Ted website. And um, so now they have the potential for global reach and to get way more views than they would have otherwise that if they're just on YouTube, but, um, this is part of this is part of how sites are are growing and reaching people and so forth and so um, the application you, I put together a list for everyone to know what the deadlines are and the links are all there and there's like twenty to thirty sites that accept them on a rolling basis so I've done all that work for people already mm -hmm. and um, and a lot of times they'll tell you in the application, hey, the deadline is this, and then you'll hear back from us at this point. So for example, TEDx um, Waltham, I think uh, you have until the end of this month to apply. And then they say, you'll hear from us in the month of March, whether you got it. And then the event is in June. And and right now they're, they're saying, I think they're saying it might be in person. They're not sure yet. So that's where we're at. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm looking around here. Everybody's saying hi. Um, so I don't see any questions from the audience right now, but I encourage them to leave the questions in the comment box of this video. Um, also, message us. Do you let me just like go over the link for the masterclass? Yeah. Uh, I know that if you are interested, just make sure that you may contact uh, Cesar Cervantes or you can contact me and let me know. So I think, is there uh, something, some some special coupon? Yeah, if well? you're, hey, if you're listening to this and you're connected with our good friend uh, and you... I'll give you I'll give you a discount code for for the class. Um, you can just reach out directly and and say comment or message and and we'll respond and we'll give you that coupon code. Um, there's a couple of seats left, and so whoever's in, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna fill them today. And so I would I would love to have you on board, and we're getting started a week from today. It's just going to be a blast, everyone. So that's gonna that's gonna be only available. That coupon's gonna be only available until. February the 11th is that seventh the seventh until the seventh yeah. so if the, if you think about this and you want to do it and you're going to do it you have until the seventh to take advantage of this so don't forget to uh, message me or him so you can get that coupon code um 
Otherwise, thank you so much, Cesar. I really enjoyed hearing about your success story and how, you know, you actually did what you wanted to do. I mean, like you made your dreams come true and uh, more. You went actually beyond that. Um, I love the the fact that you're a little bit, uh, how do you say that? It's not compulsive. Uh, <laughs> or the compulsion. You're talking about yeah. compulsion? of uh, playing tennis. Um, um, I actually love that. Um, I think that, you know, um, having a sport is actually also good for, for our minds. Like it keeps mm -hmm. our minds clear. And um, what's well, about know. having, it's about having passion and, and love for life and doing everything that you do all the way. And that's, you know, that's just been something that's been, um, a part of me. And so I don't know, I, I, whatever it is that you're passionate about, allow that passion to take you over to take and, over. <laughs> you know, let's do this thing. Be obsessed about it. Be composed <laughs> about it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I appreciate you taking off your time for being here. Everybody, thank you again for listening this, your Be Fearless podcast. And don't forget for, uh, to subscribe next week on Monday. We have the one and only, the amazing Taylor Thompson with us. So until then, have an amazing day and don't forget to be fearless. <laughs>